Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 357th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Coming at you on Voice America Business Network. Broadcasting in this eighth year across the world, back in our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where the weather, as usual here, is absolutely perfect. Next week's broadcast will be from Vienna in Austria, where I'll be giving a presentation en route to Moscow, where the program will come from the following week. So a couple of shows from Europe. Now, many of you are familiar with Slack. Slack is a cloud-based set of proprietary team collaboration tools and services. They were founded by Stuart Butterfield, and it began just as an internal tool used by his company, which I think was called Tiny Spec, if I remember, in the development of Glitch, which then went defunct. However, Slack's a place where your team comes together to collaborate. It's fantastic for collaboration where all conversations are searchable by everybody. So you can tap into company knowledge and important information and it can be found very readily by the right people at the right time. And the Slack tools also pipe in information when and where you need it. What blows me away is the Slack app directory has over 1,500 apps that you can integrate into Slack. This means you spend less time juggling tabs and more time focusing on doing some work, if that's actually what you want to do. Now, Slack is an acronym for searchable log of all conversations and knowledge, and that's exactly what it is. It's um, Butterfield's focus was on features, and that became Slack's primary strategy, guiding the development of these easy-to-use integrations, and it's made Slack really important. And now major news outlets report when their service is down. So it's got to the stage where it is important. Now, unlike products that are designed to not work like other brands, and we all know them, like Apple, (laughs) for example, Slack's platform features integrations with other software from Google and Microsoft and Salesforce, etc. And that makes its product fun and very easy to use. Now, Slack's got to the point where it has one main competitor, a little company called Microsoft. And you might remember that Microsoft tried to buy Slack two years ago, but then decided not to and build its own collaboration tool, Microsoft Teams, And after Microsoft unveiled its Teams product, Slack took out a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal, very, very, very cheeky, saying Slack's excited to have some competition from Microsoft. And since then, Slack's built up a massive war chest. They've been raising funds. They've got $1.2 billion in the bank. They've got 3 million users across 70,000 Teams. And it's a fun platform, and all they have to do is keep being fun. And Microsoft's got a pretty formidable competitor on its hands. 
So watch out for slack. As you probably know, in California, we've had horrific fires. The whole place looked like it was on fire at one stage, and it destroyed thousands and thousands of homes. But what if fire sweeps through the home of someone who collected art, for example? It's likely that the documents would be lost, and the provenance would be lost. How the hell do you prove that you actually ever owned it? You know, in my house, we've got art, and uh, the provenance in the main is attached to the back of the paintings, as most people do. If it burnt down, I don't know how I'd prove that I actually owned it. But what if the proof of your purchase of the art, the provenance, and the authenticity was held on a permanent trusted database that you could access with a secure key. Well, that's now simple. It's called blockchain. And blockchain is currently booming in finance, healthcare, manufacturing, and now the art world. You might um, have noticed that a couple of weeks ago, the um, New York Stock Exchange, they own 23 major stock exchanges around the world, 23, and they're all going on to the blockchain. Now, blockchain allows a transaction to be permanently recorded on a database, and this database is shared between a whole bunch of computers without relying on any third party to authenticate or process it. So it's totally independent. So nobody can remove entries or alter them in any way. Once it's on the blockchain, it is there forever, unalterable. And so blockchain brings efficiency and transparency to the buying and selling of art. And in fact, any collectibles, it doesn't matter what they are. I'm involved with a company called Genuine Forgeries, and we've got um, forgeries being done by one of the five greatest forger, art forgers in history. And all the art that we have is all on the blockchain. Now, Christie's, the 252-year-old auction house, says blockchain has a potentially revolutionary impact on the art business in its ability to host all data about an object or artwork from catalogue details, sale prices and provenance, from invoices and certificates of authenticity, anything to do with that piece of artwork is recorded on the blockchain. Can't be removed, transparent for everybody to see, brilliant. And now for digital artists, which there's no way to protect their art really, Blockchain allows artists to create digital editions of their work, a bit like digital photographs, and ensure that ownership can be tracked and verified. Smart contracts, which is an innovation of the Ethereum blockchain, on which nearly all blockchain activities taking place, also allows digital artists to make money out of their work by either selling whole works or portions of works. So like in almost every other industry, blockchain is here to stay. Now, do you get my 30-second daily read newsletter? It goes out every single day. 
You should be able to read it in 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds. We've now got about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It takes just maybe a minute, a minute of your day when you get up in the morning over the first cup of coffee. And we tackle different subjects every day from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to we talk about Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, Bitcoin, talk about all those. Today's newsletter actually was about 3D printing, which enables anyone, no matter how big you are, to produce goods around the world that are just as complex as the um, products that the multinationals can produce and at the same price. So a small company in Ghana can print parts with the same quality and the same cost as a giant corporation in America. Our borderless production via 3D printing is one of the most crucial enabling technologies. It's going to drive productivity, economic growth and prosperity for this century. It is one of the biggest re revolutionary inventions of all time. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to compete in this pretty competitive world, you've got to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Very easy. Go to my website, bobpritchard.com. Don't go right this second though because actually we're down. We have technicians working on it right now. And, um, but it should be up by tomorrow morning. So go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll. Now I've got a, actually a good news for the planet story. There's not enough of them. But startups are helping reduce the 1.6 billion tonnes of food, 1.6 billion tonnes of food that's wasted every year. It's worth 1.2 trillion dollars every year wasted food thrown away unbelievable research by the boston consulting group shows that there's a 700 billion dollar opportunity in the food supply chain and it's caused by four main problems the first one is crappy infrastructure secondly low efficiency third lack of incentive to do anything about it and fourth poor collaboration. Over the last few months, though, several startups have raised money to try and address each of these issues. So the first way that startups are helping to reduce food waste, I can't get over that number, 1.6 billion tonnes, Jesus, is by improving infrastructure. Appeal Sciences makes a plant-based second skin that keeps produce three, fresh three times as long. Every fruit and vegetable breathes, just like we do. And once a piece of produce is picked from a tree or a plant, it continues to respire and ages slowly, like all of us, until it begins to break down. Microorganisms then move in, causing it to spoil. Refrigeration, well, that delays the process, but only so much. So scientists can now make your bananas, avocados and other fresh produce last two to three times as long by delaying spoilage. Appeal, Appeal, what a great name, has created a name to extract lipids from several popular crops 
and transform each type into a powder, which is then dissolved in water and applied to fruit or vegetables. It forms an edible barrier to lock moisture in and keep those nasty little microorganisms out. So farmers can apply a version of the solution in the field or distributors can use the rinse on the packaging line. And you can extend shelf life by days or in many cases even weeks. So this will help fight food waste dramatically. And it should reduce the number of refrigerated trucks and ships that are running all over the world that's trying to deliver food very quickly at its peak. Now, the second way that startups are helping reduce food waste is by increasing efficiency. Karma's a Swedish company that sells spare food from cafes and supermarkets at a discount. It also has the bonus side effect of providing consumers with a cheaper alternative to takeaway services like Diveroo. Karma partners up with supermarkets, restaurants and even food delivery services and they sell off leftover food and they sell it direct to you, the consumer, who you go and pick up their discounted items and you pick them up from their outlet. The third way that startups are helping to reduce food waste is by offering incentives. Imperfect produce delivers unsellable but tasty, ugly fruit and vegetables to consumers. You know, something like, this is really weird when you think about it, something like 20 to 30% of all fruit and vegetables grown in the US don't meet cosmetic standards. You know, it's a carrot that might be crooked or a cucumber that's curvy or an apple that's got a knobble thing on it. And they're either left in the field or they're trucked to a landfill. Nothing wrong with them. Perfectly good. Just not looking good. So the farmer's rewarded for his full harvest because um, imperfect produce buys it. The food and the resources used to grow it aren't wasted. And you get delicious, healthy, affordable fruits and vegetables. Cheap. And the drivers drop the food off at your doorstep. Can't be any easier than that. The fourth way that startups are helping to reduce food waste is by facilitating collaboration. Full Harvest, which produces a B2B marketplace, it links excess food produce with businesses like retail juice chains. They don't give a damn how crappy the orange looks or the whatever it is. So they can use ugly fruit <laughs> to make their products more affordable. So the startup focuses on vegetable farms greater than a thousand acres and fruit farms greater than a hundred acres and then connects them to customers. So, so so far in 2018, VC firms have invested more than two billion dollars in food tech. So if all goes well, these startups could reduce greenhouse gas emissions associated with food waste and help feed the 870 million undernourished people across the planet, all while making investors very happy. So that's good news. 1.6 billion pounds of food thrown away every year. That is bloody extraordinary. My guest after the break is Nadia Zhang, 
She's the co-founder and chairman of Social Alpha Foundation. It's a not-for-profit grant-making platform, again, supporting blockchain education and also outreach to empower communities for social good. She is a very interesting lady and doing fantastic things. I'm Bob Pritchard. I'm broadcasting across the world this week from the technology and entertainment hub of the world, Los Angeles, California. And I'll be back in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and welcome to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs and other specialists in startup businesses and early-stage businesses who play a role in solving the issues faced by entrepreneurs on their way to success. Only about 3% of startups get off the ground. So 97% fail. So we speak with people who have succeeded before, people who are really interesting, and people that have got something to share with other entrepreneurs. Because the more we can learn from people that have gone before us that have been successful, the less chance we've got of making those same mistakes ourselves. So in these discussions with entrepreneurs, we try to find out what makes these successful companies work, but more importantly, what makes these people tick? What is it that drives them? What are their secrets? So that we can learn from the things that make them successful and also from the challenges they've had to face. You know, I've spoken to hun- literally hundreds, probably thousands of startups and early stage companies and every one of them, whether they've gone on to be a unicorn or whether they have stayed a fairly small company, they all seem to face exactly the same challenges. Now, Nadia Zhang is the co-founder and chairman of Social Alpha Foundation. And this is a not-for-profit grant-making platform supporting blockchain education and outreach to empower communities for social good. And as you know, if you listen to this show regularly, we are all about social good. You know, it's, it's all right to be a very successful entrepreneur, but unless you give something back, we don't consider that you've achieved your success yet. Um, 
Nadia is also a board member of the fundraising committee at the Hong Kong Society for the Protection of Children, a member of the FinTech Association of Hong Kong, and sits on the Global Patrons Board of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Sounds like a pretty cool chick, doesn't she? She's a graduate of the University of Washington. She's also a cryptocurrency investor and blockchain enthusiast. Um, I hope she's doing better than I am at the moment. Um, I'm a cryptocurrency investor and I'm a blockchain enthusiast. And uh, hmm, the Social Alpha Foundation provides no-strings funding to companies and projects that educate communities on blockchain for social change. They also give grants to non-commercial blockchain applications that focus on improving public health, education and the environment. Now, successful applicants receive financial grants ranging from $10,000 to $100,000 with no interest charge and no repayment obligations. Funding for grants will be raised in cryptocurrency from individuals and commercial projects that have executed successful token sales, created a channel for donors to adopt corporate social responsibility practices. All very good. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. You are being heard all around the world. Hey, Bob. Uh, thank you for having me here. So you're up in San, you're up in Silicon Valley or San Francisco? Yes, uh, I am in uh, San Francisco at this moment. Uh, but you know, I spend majority of my time in Hong Kong actually. Okay. So how was Social Alpha? Foundation. How did it come about? Did you just wake up at two o'clock in the morning one day and go, "Aha! I've got this great idea." <laughs> that's a, that, that, that's a really good question. Uh, so, Social Alpha Foundation uh, is a foundation that co-founded uh, with uh, Jihan Chu. So, uh, for us both, we are so Jihan himself. You know, he was in uh, blockchain since 2013. Sure. Uh, also, the co- right now the managing partner at Kinetic, uh, which is a institutional blockchain, uh, blockchain platform. Yep. And then he also is the co-founder of the Ethereum Hong Kong Meetup, uh, co-founder of the Bitcoin Association uh, in Hong Kong since 2013. Uh, for me myself, I started you know get involved in blockchain areas since 2016, and then just started to investing, also dive, uh, diving in. You know, into the whole like community and also the cultural. So uh, for us, is that we, because uh, we are in the space uh, just uh, a little bit earlier. So what we see is that blockchain had really made a you know quite a big statement uh, for the past two years from this kind of like an underground fintech you know cultural right now a social yep. phenomenon. Everybody yep. is talking about blockchain. But we also see that there is a, a problem, which is that there is a huge missing link uh, between general public's understanding uh, versus the real underlying technology. And, but we truly believe that blockchain as a technology can offer so much more, not just from a, from a uh, financial spectrum, but also from other so many different levels, sure. uh, especially on social welfare, on city planning, uh, also public health environment, education, etc. So we really want to like, uh, reintroduce and reshape the image of blockchain, so people can understand that this is not just some technology or some um, ICO, you know, or make your, you know, make your rich quickly way, but it's actually a very useful and a very impactful technology. So, you know, carrying that, uh, we want to uh, establish a platform that really provides, let's say, resource 
network funding for the current generation and also more importantly, the next generation of blockchain developers to think about how really to use their skill set to create positive social impact. Uh, if, you know, let's say right now a developer wants to really start to tackle a issue in public health that we really want to be the one, be the platform that support them, you know, to achieve what they want to achieve. Right. And the other part, you know, from us is that we think it's very also, uh, you know, important for us to encourage uh, the, this generation of, you know, crypto communities to think about give back at early stage. Uh, we think, you know, uh, because we're so early and technology is so young, uh, we, you know, as, you know, everybody in the blockchain community to think about how exactly should we make the world a better place. And then and then if we kind of like insert uh, this kind of value system of of give back earlier, that I think the impact that we're going to make, uh, it will be, you know, very long lasting. And of course, it's evolving over time. Uh, but we think, you know, if we start now and start early, that we're up to something really, really great. Yeah, the changes that are happening are extraordinary. Over the last six or so weeks, I've interviewed people mm-hmm. that are using blockchain in in medicine, that people that are using blockchain in distribution of um, entitlements, government entitlements in Africa, um, a whole range of things that are that blockchains now being used for and uh, the advances are quite extraordinary I mean they're just happening so quickly Um, absolutely why do you think it's necessary for the average person out there to know anything about blockchain I mean they they don't know how the internet works so why should they know how blockchain works Um, I think uh, actually you know about the question about how much you know right I feel like right now it's really that people are understanding towards blockchain that you know that people really outside the industry is actually uh, I mean it it can really be confusing sometimes on one side uh, you heard that somebody just become a gazillionaire you know overnight Uh, but the other point is that if you look at the the market you're like oh you know I feel like that the market is really tanking but the other part but I think what people should really know about blockchain is not to see this as a kind of like a financial tool or or simply a coin, but it's actually as the technology which uh, which is that people should always keep an open mind uh, when it comes to any kind of technology. Sure. People, you know, was skeptical about internet at the first place and right now it's the AI and now it's blockchain. But I think, you know, because people's understanding with blockchain is not that comprehensive, which means there are actually a lot of like a misassumption towards the, this technology. So I think, you know, the important part is that it's not for everybody to, you know, really know, you know, a lot about sharding or proof of uh, proof of stake. But it's actually about that, oh, blockchain uh, outside of like, you know, uh, some somebody raising a lot of like money for a project is actually a technology or maybe we can use for the public health system or maybe can use on my daily payment or maybe one day I will download a application that based on blockchain technology that I might find convenient. So I think it's really a open-minded and a kind of like a welcoming attitude, you know, that we are, you know, hoping for to receive from the majority of the audience. Yeah, don't you don't you think the big well one of the big problems is that people confuse. I mean, blockchain is one thing, cryptocurrency is mm-hmm. something totally different. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's where people get confused. I think people look at um, at crypto, and mm-hmm. I know, I know, literally. 
a hundred guys that have become multi-millionaires out of crypto, but I also know a hell of a lot that bought in and <laughs> at the moment are yeah. sitting at the bottom of the cycle, not feeling good. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's really no reflection on blockchain whatsoever. I mean, we're in, we've got a um, um, an art business and we're using blockchain to register the art to track the provenance so that you know, it can't, nobody can fiddle with it. You can't steal the art because everybody knows where it belongs. They know what it's worth. They know the, all the yes. materials it was printed on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a, it's a, um, a totally secure registration of art, for example. Absolutely. You, and you can do the same thing with jewellery or with car, with with anything, mm-hmm. with anything. Yes. Um, so I think the the problem is people get confused. So. Yep. Since you're looking at doing social good, why why do you support blockchain projects specifically? Why not anybody that's out there doing good? Uh, well, I mean, first because you know uh, we are you know in this community, so we definitely want to see more potential use case uh, and also as well as adoption uh, that you know using blockchain technology. But the other part is that I really see that a lot of like huge potential that can come out of blockchain. So I give you an example. So uh, one of the grantees, you know, that we funded before is this kind of like a sovereign ID project uh, called Ampli, based in South Africa. So as you may understand that lots of developing countries, they have literally millions of idealist people, population. Sure. So that means that when you are born, you don't have any kind of identification. Like forget about like driver's license, you don't even yeah. have a passport. Yeah. And an extreme example it can be if there is war going on in your country and then actually there's, you know, a lot of war going, you know, around the world, you know, every every yeah. second, that those unfortunate people, if they even go to the border and apply to be a refugee to another country, they couldn't even do it because even though they're standing in front of you in flash, they still couldn't prove who they are. Yeah. So the project that we, you know, supported is that they work uh, with a local charity that built early education center for children. So every child uh, that is registered uh, and enrolled into that charity-run school, they will be given a digital identity as right. part of their education profile. So for those children that can not only have, you know, a support, you know, from the education system, but meanwhile, they also gain a piece of information that is permanent, uh, that is transparency, uh, that's transparent, and, you know, and that can, you know, potentially support them to prove, you know, their own identity in some ways. So that's one. Uh, and that and another, you know, kind of like things I want to mention is that I recently paid a visit uh, to India. So uh, we went to Hyderabad, which is, uh, yep. I think, the fourth largest city in India. Yes. And then so we visit uh, this agricultural center uh, called Ikrisant. So what Ikrisant does is that Ikrisant is a uh, 20 years old uh, research uh, center that's heavily funded uh, by a lot of like, major institutions like the Gates Foundation, etc. Yep. So what they do is that they want to encourage uh, the crop diversity in India. So some of you might know that for India, because it's such a huge uh, country and um, because their uh, kind of like a local diet is actually quite uh, carbohydrate high. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the study showed that actually India has a really, really high uh, rate of diabetes. And one of the main reasons is actually that uh, the, uh, it's actually because the choice uh, for people uh, to, you know, have to have is actually just wheat. And uh, as you might know, you know, if you eat too much, kind of like literally, right, right, yeah. uh, it's all going to be transferred into sugar. And sure. also, 
for there. And then, you know, if you look into the Indian diets, you can actually eat really kind of like, you know, carbohydrate heavy and then it's actually quite sugar heavy. But actually the problem behind that is actually the government has a, a rice reserve, which means that for local farmers, if you want to grow a crop that will be guaranteed got bought, it can only be right rice. Right. And that you can see that because for the people, let's say I, if I am a local farmer, I don't really have any choice to grow something else because I have a family to feed because I need to survive. Sure. So right rice is the only thing I'm going to grow. And that you can see that potentially lead to a generation of diabetes. Yeah. So what we talk about with, uh, so, so Icrisam is the center that really wants to encourage the diversity of crops. Let's say for some of the regions that's not even suitable, uh, the soil is not even suitable to grow, uh, you know, right rice. It's actually better for rice sorghum or, uh, quinoa that's, you know, really beneficiated for people's health. So we were, what we're thinking is that if we can use blockchain, that we can, uh, that we can, you know, uh, potentially establish this kind of like the incentivization system that benefits the farmers. Let's say if you can, uh, if a farmer uh, basically uh, grow five more, five percent more of a right sorghum rather than white rice, they can potentially get some kind of like a financial institution. They, it can be fertilizer, it can be just maybe a very a little of financial return, but it's something. So if we can use blockchain to create this kind of like, a, you know, it can be a micropayment system, it can be a financial inclusion tool, that can really just benefit the next generation of, you know, a people that won't, wouldn't even be heard by so many different levels. So, yeah, so that's basically, you know, why I see uh, why we want to kind of encourage blockchain, why we want to invest so much in blockchain technology, because the future a blockchain can create is really, really exciting. Yeah, and of course, once people are on the blockchain, um, then it enables them to... Um, to establish your credit history, to even even with micro loans, um, you know, Absolutely. the repayment on micro loans is incredibly high. It's almost a hundred percent. You know, it's, it's interesting yep. that the people that are really poor pay their loans, and the people that are really rich don't. <laughs> There's something yeah. wrong with that. And um, some of the some of the you know people in the more disadvantaged situation, they don't even get to pay loans. Yeah. they're not even included in the financial system. Yeah, well, that this enables them to be included and, and develop a, um, a a credit situation, and also, as you, as you've said before, people know who they are, where they are, and um, yes, that, that's got to be a huge benefit to not only the individuals but to the country as a whole. Who are what other mm-hmm. sorts of businesses um, have you made grants to? Right. So uh, for Social Offer Foundation, uh, we offer two kinds of grants. Uh, so one is a education grant, uh, which means we offer uh, to people that tackle fundamental blockchain, kind of like a developer uh, development, uh, which means that, you know, kind of like a research and study uh, with a focus of uh, social impact. And we also offer another grant, uh, is an application grant, uh, which means right. we want to help non-commercial blockchain applications that tackle social welfare issues uh, with a focus of public health, education, or environment. So for the, you know, since uh, last year, we also give a grant uh, to start a uh, blockchain for social impact hackathon uh, that was in May in New York. 
So we work with a conference that is a pure computer science major student conference. Right. So they gather about 300 computer science major students from top 20 universities to really think about how to use their skill set to create positive social impact. So we uh, we give a 30,000 uh, US dollar grant uh, to the Hackathon Prize. And then, you know, for the two, so the students spend about two nights of hacking. And then actually the result comes out really nicely. So we have three winners, and then some of their projects are decentralized voting, decentralized crowdsourcing, uh, decentralized and also refugee IDs. So I guess, you know, from that event, what we see is that if we give a platform and if we give a kind of like, you know, we, if we open another door uh, for students, uh, that is the younger generation of developers, to sure. see that, hey, you know, if you think about how blockchain can benefit the social welfare system actually a lot. You will be surprised uh, by, you know, the great ideas that people come out with. And uh, we also recently, uh, you know, just kind of like, you know, uh, supporting a, a conference uh, that's uh, held by UN OPS, uh, which is a operational arm uh, inside of the UN and right. also the Netherlands government. So uh, we are helping, uh, we will be participating and also helping them to organize this kind of like a blockchain factor when it comes to government uh, adoption and also major institutions adoption and then, you know, potential use case. So we think, you know, that's from another angle is also interesting because, you know, for organizations like UN or maybe, you know, or even the Dutch government, they are actually really pioneer and advancing, you know, when it comes to blockchain adoption. And I think it would be really interesting for, you know, for me to gather everybody, you know, to see in the one room and really talk about, so where is the, you know, the future of blockchain and then, you know, what people, you know, what will people from different kind of like, you know, social layers and also different kind of like jurisdiction layers can benefit from it. Okay, so if I'm out, if I'm out there listening to this program and I'm, I'm working on using blockchain for some social good or for some, um, um, program that's going to benefit health or giving people their entitlements, et cetera, et cetera. How do they go mm -hmm. about, what are the criteria to apply to you and how do they go about doing it? Right. Uh, so, yeah, so people, because, I mean, you know, if you want to apply our grants, uh, you can you know, simply go to our website. Everything is really uh, clear on the website for the requirements and everything. So our grant size uh, is uh, 10K to 100K, uh, but but the grant test is actually also determined uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. So I would say that really depends on, you know, like different kind of like application of uh, the applicants. So for our grant selection criteria uh, in the both parts uh, is that we want to, uh, we want the uh, uh, application to show a well-researched and then also original ideas. And then we want the project plan to be realistic and achievable, which means that current blockchain technology can support what you want to achieve. And then we want the project to have a really kind of like a measurable real world impact, which yep. means that, you know, based on their target, it can really show that at least a, uh, a significant uh, kind of amount of people will potentially be benefit, uh, will be benefiting from this kind of like application and adoption. And, uh, you know, we, we want to see a experienced team uh, with, you know, kind of like a relevant past achievement. And then, you know, and so that can show that they actually have the ability to do it. And uh, uh, the project cannot be a commercial enterprise uh, because we are a non-for-profit and we fund sure. non-commercial kind of like, uh, applications. So yeah, and then, you know, so for our structure is that we have a uh, vetting committee. So the vetting committee will be responsible in vetting and also choosing uh, the, you know, kind of like uh, the, our grantees. 
So, and then for the vets committee, we have a very experienced of like charity people uh, and also combined with a very experienced uh, blockchain expert. So um, we, we hope that this kind of combination can help them, you know, can help them to really vet uh, the incoming applications on a very comprehensive ways, which means that blockchain people make sure that current technology can support and also charity people can really make sure that what the project is trying to solve is actually the pain spot uh, in a lot of like, you know, uh, areas. So if, if if they have to be non-profit, um, mm-hmm. aren't you cutting, non-commercial. non-commercial, aren't you cutting out a large percentage of people who um, are really going to develop things that solve the problems? I mean, the, the best people, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but the best people are out there saying, okay, I want to work with the social security department and I want to make sure that um, – the the VA the health um, soldiers health program mm-hmm. I want to make sure that's on the blockchain and that everybody gets great treatment we want to be able to track that treatment we want to be able to track their medications we want to we want all that to be on the blockchain aren't most of the people that go into those things going to be for profit. Oh, that's actually a really good question. Uh, so from uh, the way we approach it is actually that if you are, I'm not saying that, you know, there is anything wrong with commercial entities. Of course not, you know, uh, but our our point is actually that uh, as a commercial entity, you actually have uh, relatively a little bit more ways uh, when it comes to fundraising. So you can, you know, you can have equity uh, fundraising, you can sure. have, you can do ICO, you know, it's, not, it, sure. it, it's just like simply the channel or more. But for non-commercial applications, uh, that for that, I'm actually talking about, uh, let's say, a university professor that's right. leading a group of, you know, PhDs yes. that want to start a smart city design. Uh, so that, uh, so for that type of projects, they are really kind of in need of funding. And that will be this kind of like a demographic that we want to kind of like a focus on. Sure. So again, like, you know, you can, you can only do so much. Uh, and then at this stage, we chose this kind of like aspect and direction that we want to focus on. Yeah, but again, like a lot of like great commercial projects out there. <laughs> okay, so at the last crypto summit um, that was in Los Angeles, they they had about four and a half thousand attendees, and oh, wow. a majority of them were mm-hmm. men. There wasn't mm. there were women there, but there certainly wasn't a great representation of women. Do you do, do you do in anything to encourage more women to get involved in blockchain and, and the crypto area? Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, for, you know, women blockchain, this uh, question actually, you know, is, uh, I, uh, in my opinion, I think uh, lacking women in a workforce is actually uh, can apply to many different industries. Sure. But for blockchain and then my advice, you know, for you know, uh, women that wants to get into the blockchain field, is that uh, my theory is that uh, stop looking uh, for your role model, uh, be your role model. Uh, for as the women in the industry, I think because you know the lack of women uh, force, you know, for the past you know couple of years, actually lead to a lack of female leadership. Yeah. For that thing is that we we don't we we have a lot of female workers, but the problem is that we don't have enough female leaders. So right. what we want to, what women should should be thinking, I should be doing is actually don't look for anybody that oh I want to become in the future. Just set a goal and start to really kind of like measure yourself as a female leader, because I think that's a definitely more 
progressive and then kind of like a more uh, positive angle to think about these kind of questions because you cannot undo what's being done. Yes. But you are actually, but think about actually you have the power as a woman in any kind of workforce. The power is actually in your hand that they can potentially define what, the, what is the next generation of female leadership look like. So that will be my advice and my opinion on female on blockchain. I think another problem is that um, there are very few that I've seen anyway, really good speakers on blockchain and crypto. Um, One that comes to mind is um, Brock Pierce's wife. um, And Mm -hmm. she she is a fantastic um, speaker. Uh, Crystal Rose, I think her name is. And she is... A phenomenal speaker, one of the best speakers I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. be, I think because she's young, you know, she's like mm-hmm. 30-ish or something, um, and she's a great speaker, she gets women involved. Women women really relate to her, but there's very Absolutely. few of those, very few yes. that I've seen anyway. So. Yes. That is that is correct. Uh, I still remember uh, there was a conference uh, and then earlier this year. So I was uh, one of the three female speakers uh, among, I think, 50 speakers. Yeah. And uh, out of these three female speakers, one is uh, Sophie the Robot. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you do against Sophie the Robot? <laughs> oh, the robot presents really well, I have to say. That's <laughs> <laughs> so- how can you encourage more crystal roses and, and more people like yourself to get out there and and speak to women and get them involved? Um, I think first, uh, you first, I think, you know, for actually, you know, that applies to any gender. First, you need to do what you love, uh, you know, for women, you know, that want to get into blockchain. First, make sure that, you know, you really uh, you really have a passion for this industry. Because I still think, you know, that's actually the core and the foundation of, you know, any kind of professions. And the other part is that I think when it comes to gender inequality, it shouldn't be gender segregation, which means that right now, oh, the boys have boys club, you know, our girls should have our girls club. Then, you know, it's basically like a Berlin Wall that we just don't cross each other. I don't think that should be the case. I think everybody, you know, should... I think everybody shouldn't have a kind of like a pre-decided kind of like an attitude when it comes to like, let's say there is a female worker in your team or there is like a male worker in your team. Sure. I think at start, people should understand and try to appreciate people's on their ability, but not on their gender. And the other, and the other part is that uh, women should, of course, women should be more encouraged and then also should be kind of like a briefer to actually speak on their own mind. Because, you know, uh, because a lot of the time it's not because, you know, let's say women's idea is not good. It's just because maybe sometimes uh, males are kind of like a more expressive. Yeah. And then they, can, they are the one that, you know, probably speak the first sentence. And then as female people, um, you know, we tend to think about, oh, maybe we should cultivate uh, this idea a little bit more. Otherwise, I'm probably going to not sound as smart. <laughs> but don't be afraid, you know, to, you know, yeah. like don't be afraid to express your uh, not premature, but not so completed ideas. Yep. Because idea is idea. And yep. then people work on ideas and people polish ideas. But you should always, you know, be, you know, you should always be able to just kind of initiate a conversation or initiate an idea. So the self uh, Social Alpha Foundation is really 
a philanthropic organisation, isn't it? It's it's mm-hmm. it's simply giving giving money to people who are not for profit, who are um, helping to spread the applications of blockchain across the community. Mm-hmm. Um, we are getting a few blockchain courses pop up in colleges and and um, other educational areas, but there's there's not a lot of it. Well, there doesn't seem to be mm-hmm. a lot of it. How important is it to foster that education? One would think that it was critical to get more and more colleges teaching blockchain technology. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I think it's really, really important. Um, so, uh, I mean, one of our uh, education grantee, uh, she's actually a, a student at Blockchain uh, at uh, UC Berkeley. Right. So she's also the co-founder of Blockchain at Berkeley, which is, I think, one of the most well-known yep. uh, blockchain student-run blockchain club, you know, in, in America. Yeah, we did a program. So, uh, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. So what we so what we found uh, is actually that if you are, uh, we and we are all about, uh, you know, kind of like um encouragement when it comes to a younger generation of students. Uh, what we what we do uh, what we do with Apollo is actually we invited her uh, to come to Hong Kong, and then we host a series of workshops, uh, meetups, and also university visits uh, during her stay. So uh, two parts. So one part is that you know we think Hong Kong is kind of like a lacking fundamental blockchain knowledge, yeah. uh, which well we, therefore that we hosted classes on crypto economic design. Uh, how to start your blockchain research, and also something more uh, int- uh, introductory uh, classes like introduction to blockchain. But on other parties that we actually organize university visits that is for Apana, who is a experienced uh, kind of like a co-founder of a great organization that really get in touch uh, with local Hong Kong university students right. uh, to talk about how exactly to start, you know, what is her journey as a co-founder of a kind of like a very successful organization. And how important, actually, how easy for you to start your own kind of like a blockchain club. And then so we think, you know, that kind of like, a, you know, in, enrollment is actually important because, you know, it's one part to think about, oh, maybe someone should start it and I should just follow. But it's very different for, for students to think about, I should be the one, I should be the founder. So... I think you know that. I think I think that program you know we how was kind of like very kind of like educational and also uh, impactful. And you know, uh, in the in America, we actually know uh, that there is uh, there actually is a blockchain at uni- universities a lot. You know, there's like a blockchain at uh, Berkeley Club, of course, a blockchain at Columbia, blockchain at USC, blockchain at UCI. So and then, and then we can see that you know with you know the growth of these kind of like a student club coming up. We're actually looking at the very kind of like a diversity of maybe potential blockchain applications, not just on, you know, kind of like a commercial focus, but you can also, you know, expand into many, many different spectrums because the more, the larger the population of, you know, people thinking about blockchain, actually, the higher opportunities for blockchain to succeed uh, is, is there. So, and then we think, uh, and then we also know that in UC Berkeley, there is a professor that's actually going to teach a blockchain for social impact uh, entrepreneurship classes uh, for the very right. first time. So we think that will also be interesting because that for that we can actually have a communication, also information sharing, not just on the student level, but also on the faculty level. So yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's extremely important and uh, I'm 
I'm just really I actually very glad to see that there are actually just right now more and more student involvement and also faculty involvement are happening. Nadia Zhang, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Just on that last thought for a second. Um, there are companies right across the country from banks to all sorts of fintech companies all looking for good blockchain people and unable to find them. Um, so in the next 10 years, there's going to be a massive um, demand for blockchain experts. And at the moment, there are they're few and far between. So if you'd like to know more about NIDIA and Social Alpha Foundation, Go to social, S-O-C-I-A-L, alpha, A-L-P-H-A, foundation, F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N, dot org. So that's socialalphafoundation.org. All the details are on that website. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with you after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting today from the entertainment and technology hub of the world, Los Angeles, California, Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. Now, Amazon changes its product prices 2.5 million times every day, meaning that an average product's cost will change about every 10 minutes. That's 50 times more often than Walmart and Best Buy. So why do they do it? They do it because they've got tons of data. The constant price changes annoys some consumers when they see the price of an item drop 10 seconds after they buy it. But these frequent price changes have also helped boost Amazon's profits by 25%. With all the data that they have, Amazon analyzes customer shopping patterns, competitive prices, profit margins, inventory, and a whole bunch of other stuff in real time. That way, they can ensure their prices are always competitive and they can squeeze out more profit. Through this process, one useful strategy that Amazon's found is to undercut their competitors on popular prices and actually raise the prices on less popular products. So they discount best sellers while jacking up prices on non-best sellers. The idea is that most people will just search for the most common products, which will be cheaper on Amazon. So they assume that Amazon's the best prices overall. That hooks customers on Amazon and gets them to pay more for the less common things they'll buy down the road. Very smart. Amazon's got one and a half billion items listed for sale and 200 million users. They've got a one billion gigabytes of data 
on their items and users. So if you put all that data on 500 gigabyte hard drives and stack them up, the pile of hard drives would be over eight times as tall as Mount Everest. <laughs> That's a shed load of data. There's plenty of other ways that Amazon uses its data about you to make a buck. Based on your purchasing history, Amazon can bombard you with recommendations. You know, people who bought this product also bought this other product. You see that sort of thing on Amazon all the time. Amazon can even use the words you highlight on your Kindle to predict what you're going to buy. Amazon make these recommendations by finding patterns in past customers' purchases. For example, suppose Amazon noticed that millions of customers buy peanut butter, jelly and bread. Then say you buy peanut butter and bread. Using the pattern that it's found, Amazon suggests you buy jelly. And it gets much, much, much more complicated than that. So predicting what you want to buy goes far beyond just recommending purchases, though. Consider Amazon's patented technique called the anticipatory shipping model. When Amazon predicts that you're going to buy something, they can ship that item to a warehouse near you. So when you ultimately buy it, they'll have it available to get to you very quickly and cheaply. Big data has tremendous economic value. Beneficial, often annoying, but extremely profitable for Amazon. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. You do not want to be ordinary. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll be broadcasting from Vienna in Austria where I'm giving a presentation. The following week, I'll be broadcasting for a conference I'm speaking at in Moscow, Russia. So I'm really looking forward to it. I could probably catch up with some of Trump's mates while I'm up there. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.